Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 412th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's ready to battle the mighty titans to win your money-loving hearts. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the things that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? We're going to lead off with a couple of uh, modern events for our metagame week in review. Then we're getting to our top movers in paper, followed by segment 3, our top movers online. After that, you and I have cards to watch, and our last segment this week is going to focus on uh, our favorite cards from Murders at Karlov Manor. Uh, I'm going to give myself a nickel every time I get the name of the stupid set right. And, uh, you know, what we think is going to be awesome in Commander, the long-term things, what's going to punch through. And then that's it for this set until the next set comes out in, like, what, a week, right? We got a week? (laughs) I think we actually got a a, a decent uh, gap here about a month until fallout and then a month after that is the western set segment one metagame week in review we're gonna take a look at two paper tournaments both went down in ghent belgium there was a big legacy championship there i believe and there were several big modern tournaments as a result there was a last chance qualifier with 388 players that was taken down by black green yogmoth shardless rhinos was in third with three tide binder and four subtlety hammer time uh, making a resurgence in fourth. Four color Omnath control builds with the one ring, Renin six, and four three casting cost to fairy in fifth and sixth. We have Burn in seventh and Black Red Scam in eighth. So, in terms of paper play at this high level event, Black Red Scam certainly looking like it's been kept in check. Probably the most interesting deck here was the second place, which was a five color domain aggro deck with four Ragavan, four Scion of Draco. Yeah, the Shoba Brawler and so forth. And I don't recall seeing this in a top eight for several months now. Any deck with Scion of Draco makes me just happy at a real like core level because you get to pay two mana for this ridiculous creature that uh, not only do you get the 4-4 flyer, but you also give all kinds of abilities to everything else. For instance, Territorial Kavu, now that it's a 5-5 for two mana, it also has Trample and First Strike if the Scion is in play. So it's really ridiculous. And then you get everything else fun going on. Stubborn Denial is always active. Tribal Flames is two mana for five damage. Leyline Binding is one white mana for an instant speed soul ring. They've really made the ridiculousness just chef's kiss on this. All these singleton triomes and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
There was also a classic qualifier with 223 players on the weekend, and this one looked, was completely dominated by Amulet Titan, finishing in 1st, 5th, 6th, and 8th. Every single version of that deck running 4 copies of the 1 ring. Pretty crazy to think that Amulet Titan has been a viable strategy in almost all of the last 3 or 4 years worth of metas for Modern. And now they've got access to the one ring to shore up one of their specific problems. And so, of course, they're running the full complement. Going to be a deck to beat probably for most of the rest of this year would be my guess, or at least until MH3 comes in and shakes things up in June. Like It's just playing the ring fair, right? They don't have some ridiculous combo going on. They don't have like some, you know, the one ring's not really fair. Well, fair in the sense they can cast it on turn two. It's also worth saying that you, uh, no, you, you can't even Mycosynth Gardens in a copy of the One Ring because you have to cast it to gain protection, and it's legendary, so you'd have to sack it anyway. So I was just, I, I keep looking for, like, you know, there's some combo, they're going to reset it, they're going to do something, they're going to flicker it, but no, they're... Again, them getting it on two or turn two or three is enough, because that's just overwhelming card advantage early in the game where you can't do anything about it. It takes out one of the key turns against aggro where they would love to be getting in and taking a big chunk of your life total away and sets you up to then go off with your Titan the turn, you know, over the next couple of turns pretty easily. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm real impressed by this deck. Third place was Mono Black Coffers, so we've seen seen this in multiple top eights lately. It looks like a deck you you have to just consider as a at least tier two in the format. Four Karn the Great Creator, four March of Wretched Sorrow out of uh, Neon Dynasty, three of the One Ring themselves, and and this is not that surprising because they're both Titan and Coffers are doing the same thing, generating more mana than the other decks early on in the game, allowing them to get to a ring quickly. We also have a blue-red aggro deck that is pretty different looking than blue-red Murktide. Uh, lo- lower slung, no Murktides in this list, four DRC, three Shredder, uh, Ledger Shredder, and three Ragavan. And then there was also a blue-red control variant that did run Murktides, but only two copies. But they ran the full complement of four Snapcaster Mage and then something like 24 or 26 uh, instants and sorceries, including four Archmage's Charm and four Flame of Anor. They're also running the full set of Four Subtlety, which is also typically present in Shardless Rhinos. I love that both of these decks had some number of stern scolding going on. The one mana instant to counter a creature spell with power or toughness two or less. Just boom, one mana. And then they also had uh, Unholy Heat, which is a card that's really fallen out of favor in modern. Like there was a time where it was everything you ever wanted for one mana to deal six. But uh, other things have taken over, so this one's a little more classic in that way, and I'm I'm suitably impressed by this deck. You've always got good things to do, and you're never going to be short of uh, broken-ass things to just make your opponent want to cry. Last year we saw very little Snapcaster overall, so very you know excited to see that back on the on at the top tables. And it's certainly worth flagging in terms of stern scolding that getting rid of Fury out of the mix of elementals that are likely to, to hit the table makes that card significantly better because it works against grief, solitude. Well, holy biscuits. Wow. I don't know why I thought... All... Yeah, subtlety is a 3-3, three, three, so it misses subtlety. But uh, yeah, you get there on solitude. You get there on grief. Like, wow. Uh, yeah, no, kick a lot of butt. Uh, and, and obviously plenty of the other creatures in the format fall fall into that 
you know, DRC, Ragavinge, Ledger Shredder, Snapcaster, Tidebinder, etc. are all are all valid targets as well. I was just going to say, there's a lot of good feelings in this world, but if somebody goes pitch for grief and you've got the one-mana counter ready to laugh in their face, that's a good feeling indeed. Oh yeah, for sure. Seventh place was a shardless rhinos list in this tournament, and we move on to top paper movers. Kicking things off here, we have March of Swirling Mist Showcase from Neon Dynasty going 4 to $5, 25% gains on the back of this standard Bant Poison deck that's going on. Venerated Rot Priest, same deal, 5 to 7 40% gains from that same deck. Kalia of the Vast, Borderless out of Double Masters 2022, 42 to $60 over the last little while, draining out slowly as people track down the best-looking, by far, version of this card. Nazgul 725, one of the variants that came in the holiday release in scroll version, going 10 to $16, and the foils are being drained out as well. People continue to do well targeting the Nazgul and uh, making it hard for people to assemble full playsets. So not nothing super surprising there. Last week, I uh, called Minas Morgul Cabal Coffer's Surge Foils on the back of how that mono black deck is doing in modern, plus it's well-established pedigree in EDH, and indeed, people went after the card as a result, pushing it from 40 to close to $60. Again, anytime you have a call-out on a show like this or in an article or what have you, and it results in a flurry of activity, those are the things that are most likely to slide back. So right. even though the, you know this is a good call regardless of speculation activity, given what the market, you know, the market's demand for this card is and how relatively rare they are, I wouldn't be surprised to see these slide back towards 50 before they start sliding back up towards my target price, which I think was something like $70 within an, within the year or so. Yeah, because every time a card jumps like this, people are going to bump in, take out a card from their deck. They're going to put it in for a little bit cheaper than that 60 And so we've got to see what it actually sells at at the new price, if the new plateau is here to stay or if it's just temporary. And Kebala Coffers had been double tapped over the last couple of years because it was in MH2, which was kept in print for a, almost a solid two years. So there are plenty right. of regular copies just sitting around. Training Center Etched was a card that uh, one of the pro traders in our Discord was talking about and clearly bought some of themselves, and who knows who else was involved there. Foils going 11 to $20. I'm going to call that targeted. That said, it, it does have big EDH rec numbers, as do all of these CMR lands. Training center, I would guess, is in something like 130,000. Let me just see what the latest numbers are. That's 214,000 now since okay, last time. Okay, only 50%. <laughs> 27% of blue red decks. I mean, I. I can't decide if that's a high or low number considering it, it only came out in Commander Legends. Like, I still think these are underplayed overall. You're probably right. And probably underpriced as a result because, you know, you can get training centers as low as $7 right now. And it's much more important in EDH than, say, Volcanic Island at its price point. It's not even close, really, in terms of the value being provided. Uh, Breach the Multiverse Foil Extended Art out of All Will Be 1, 8 to 15. Pretty early movement on uh, a Foil Extended Art from that set. Yes, it's doing well in EDH, but you don't really see it anywhere else. Breach the Multiverse is in 38,000 decks so far, 4% of all black decks since release. Just going to do a quick check here and make sure it isn't actually showing up in some standard brews. You don't need to do much with Breach the Multiverse for it to be good. You need to be playing black 
you know, producing lands and do a little bit of ramp and it's fine. But even if you cast this on turn seven, uh, it's a winner. And if you if it's in your graveyard, uh, you know that somebody is going to cast that thing right out of your yard and get all kinds of good stuff from everybody's deck. It's just a really fun, straightforward commander card that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a standard deck that wants to play it, considering the kind of stuff running around standard right now. But I think this is probably just commander at, on the on the run, and you know, all will be one's been out for a while. Foil uh, extended art is the the one to go after. It looks cool. Mm, we were wrong. There there is some standard play for this card in in three or four different shells. So oh. that uh, is probably helping it That'd along. That'd be cool. Yoshimaru Ever Faithful Extended Arts out of the NCC. So these are the Neon Dynasty Collector Boosters or Commander decks. Five to ten dollars. That's going to be on the back of people assuming folks will upgrade their cats and dogs secret layer. You know, they sold out last week at 150. They've been reselling for between 250 and 300. There are certainly plenty of people whining about not getting one on Facebook and other social media. So looks like the assumption in our Discord that pets are still a valid speculation strategy has held true. Uh, I have done my fair share of whining. Like I said last week, I was expecting to be able to buy one when I got home and I was abused of that notion. We've got Sauron, the Dark Lord, Scrolls version, going 11 to 22. It's in 11,000 decks as a commander, and it's a good commander at that. Also a super popular, very famous character, and one of the cards that they're probably going to have trouble reprinting anytime soon. So not super surprised to see people going after these. We've also got Arahabo, Roar of the World, of Commander 2017, going 20 to $45. That's a foil face version from the deck uh, that year. Cats and Dogs, Secret Layer, I'm assuming this was not reprinted in? Uh, that would probably be correct. Let me look real quick. Uh, let's see. I can't seem to spell Arabo. Uh, it was in a Secret Layer uh, that came out in 2019, it looks like. And I think that might have been one of the earlier ones. And so it was only in Commander 2017 and an early Secret Layer, and that's it. And you know what? It's an Eminence, so... It's not in the deck. Yeah. So that that that's the assumption. Risen Reef Borderless was your pick last week, and clearly the pro traders agreed it was a solid one. They pushed it up from eight to eighteen inside the week. wasn't a whole lot of copies left when you were talking about it, so it wasn't that tough to do. Now the question is, will it hold this plateau, or will it backslide uh, once the speculation activity shifts to something else? We've also got Soul Ring Galaxy foils from a very recent secret layer. Uh, one of the one, one of the two that I thought was worth targeting from that particular super drop, and the Soul Ring alone has gone twenty to fifty dollars from early postings, uh, and on the back of early targeting, it's a really great looking Soul Ring. The Galaxy foil treatment in general looks really good, uh, even double sleeved, and not super surprised to see people going after this stuff. It it goes to show once again that as long as something is a super staple. It doesn't matter really how many times they printed it. It just matters is this version in particular A, scarce, and B, cool. Because if both of those is true, it's got a solid shot. I was just going to say they, they can't keep reprinting Soul Ring, but clearly they can. We keep buying all the Soul Rings. I mean, Soul Ring has been in, what, four, five, six secret layers at this point? And every one of them, it's been fairly pricey. And there's a neat one coming out with Fallout. So, you know, we're we're... They're, they're going to keep printing it. We're going to keep buying it, clearly. 
I mean, Soul Ring has the highest inclusion rate of any card in all of EDH. It's like 85% plus on EDH rec, and, and the card decks that aren't running it are probably making a mistake. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not super surprised whenever a good-looking Soul Ring makes money. Toxic Deluge etched out of Commander Masters from just this last summer. $16 to $40 pushed up on, I'm going to say targeting, um, although I'm sure people have been buying these for EDH. There's some combination of things going on with Etched, and we've seen it over multiple sets in the last 18 months. It is some combination of a relatively lower drop rate than some of the other treatments, and the fact that they don't tend to curl like foils or borderless or foil extended arts. They are a more stable shape overall, and maybe that's what's pulling some people towards them. Finishing this list off, we have Stinkweed Imp out of Time Spiral Remaster. This is the retro version going a dollar to three dollars 200 percent gains and the foils are draining out as well very few of even the non-foils left overall and this is getting pulled up i presume by people that see some opportunities with some of the new cards from mkm yeah there there's a lot of things that want you to surveil they want you to have evidence in the graveyard and i don't think anybody's really playing dredge dredge but this is always one of the popular ones for dredging purposes even if the card itself is just garbage it's in twenty-seven thousand decks on edh rec which is relatively little for its for its you know how long the card's been around but uh yeah if you got those in your tsr pile bulk you might want to pull those out and get them up for sale moving over to top magic online movers we've got opposition agent out of commander legends and this immediately made me suspicious that there must be some action and legacy, and indeed there is. There's a black scam list that's running this, and also a multicolor beanstalk control list that runs it. And Opposition Agent is up from 14.66 tickets to almost 23, as a result, 56% gains. Subtlety, of course, is all over the place in modern, especially since the banning of Fury. And it's gone 20 ticks to almost 31 tickets for 51% gains this week. And then we have Crashing Footfalls, the rare originally printed in Modern Horizons 1, going 3.71 ticks to 7.18, 93% gains on the back of Crashing Footfalls doing well across Modern. Seems pretty straightforward from here. Alrighty, let's move on over to our cards to watch. I've got a couple of juicy ones. I'm liking the looks of Flame of Anor foil scroll version. This is the showcase scrolls that were available only in the holiday release. There's also a very nice looking borderless foil that came from the earlier release. But the showcase scrolls are down to just 28 listings in near mint foil. Actually less in near mint. Let me just double check that. 22 listings near mint foil. You can still get them in and around $7. It's already in 15,000 decks on EDH rec and it's showing up in modern in Rhino. Grixis and Blue Red Control, and a couple of other different lists. And they're usually running anywhere from two to four copies, depending on which archetype you're referring to. I would imagine that will be enough to pull these up. The scroll foils don't curl as much as regular foils, so they're a little bit more viable to put into modern decks and legacy decks and so forth. And between that action and the EDH demand, and the fact that the Lord of the Rings stuff is probably going to be uh, hard to reprint in the next few years, this is probably going to get there. Give it, say, 12 months. I mean, I picked the non-foils uh, four or five weeks ago to go 5 to 12, so you picking the foils to go 7 to 15, totally legit. I'm with you. Uh, I, I imagine that's a really good feeling in Modern to Snapcaster one of these bad boys back, get the damage, draw the two cards. That seems like a pretty good deal for 5 mana. 2-1, 5 damage, and 2 cards. 
you know, I'll, I've got a scroll pick in a moment that uh, I completely agree with you about how hard it is to reprint the scrolls. We're going to get a lot of the regular frame Lord of the Rings cards, and this is fancy. It looks cool. It has a real, like, old-school feel to it. I'm really impressed with the scrolls, and yeah, solid all around. Worth flagging that your pick, the non-foil version, is at even less listings, 19 listings overall, and at about a similar price point. So if you don't believe in the foils, go ahead with Cliff's original pick, and you'll probably get there as well. Yeah. I mean, I picked it, so I agree with you completely. Okay. (laughs) What's your first selection? Uh, My first pick this week is Delighted Halfling in the scroll foil. Uh, Right now, you can pick them up for about 12 bucks in the foil version on TCG Player. There are currently 27 vendors. And it uh, it ramps kind of quickly. Nobody's got a lot of them to sell. It's a card that moves at a pretty regular rate. It's trending upwards. We're not going to get more of it. It's already in eighty nine. I'm sorry, eighty six thousand commander decks. It's just really really great. And it's even in some modern lists. We see it pop up in some of the Omnaphils and everything. So. This is uh, the only really fancy version you can get. You can find, you know, there's another fancy version you can get from the um, the scene versions. And then there's foil extended arts you can get. But this one with... the surge foils as well. Surge foils are also a thing. But I just think the scrolls are, since we know they're not going to make any more of those forever. And we know we're going to, they're going to keep making regular versions I think this is the fancy one I'd like to have, and given the supply, it seems like a pretty safe bet to go from its current 12 to, uh, I'm picking it to double up in the next year, to go to 25. I think it's totally reasonable. The The scroll foils just look like they're under pressure from a combination of, of vendor speculation as well as player demand, and as a result, they're pretty much all of the relevant scroll foils unless they submarine us with some kind of additional release look Bro. relatively look relatively safe i don't even think the gaming company is going to get a crack at a uh, mass amount of these so you know i don't i don't think that's going to happen but you know that's always there's always a chance of craziness all right so my second selection is a key mythic out of lost caverns of ixalan with very f- absolutely fantastic art uh, I'm talking about Bloodletter of Aklazots, borderless foils. Currently available around $12 or $13 in North America. I'm picking up copies over in Japan for 6 or $7, which are even more of a no-brainer. But let's keep it focused on the home grand for now. This is also in 15,000 decks on EDH Rec so far. 5% of all black decks since release are already running it. It's just a fantastic black card. It's a 2-4 flyer for 4 it's got triple black, so you got to make sure you have a strong black component in your deck. But if you do, anytime an opponent would lose life during your turn, they lose twice that much life instead. So in decks like my Aloro build, this does tons of work, doubling up all my little pinging triggers. But in just aggressive black decks like your Edgar Markovs of the world, this is a vampire as well. So it fits into the vampire, fits into the vampire builds and gets all the the various benefits and then loss of life is caused by damage so if you get in for a bunch of aggro damage they take twice as much so it functionally gives your your creatures double strike that doesn't interact during combat and all of that leads me to believe that if this was a rare i'd probably be taking a slower roll on it but it's also seeing a smattering of play in 
in Standard and Pioneer. People have been experimenting with it in some lesser builds. Maybe it gets there, you know, as a four of in Standard along the way. Uh, it's going to have, what, three years to do that in the current system? Yes, it has a long time to go. Yeah, so, I mean, anything could happen there, and I just see that as, you know, additional upside over top of the fact that this is just a great black mythic. And the the the, the quality upgrade going from regular to the borderless is so big that I think a lot of people are going to go after the borderless version. I bought a borderless version of this uh, really early, early on for my Ayara deck, and it is exactly as you say. It is a lot of fun. It makes you feel great. It uh, looks really cool. Even if they do get around to reprinting it uh, at some point, they're probably not going to reprint it with this sweet art. I forgot about the vampire synergies. You're right about that. The only beef I have is that I I think we might be able, unless it takes off in standard, which it doesn't seem to be doing, we might be able to get in a little bit cheaper. I'd be happier purchasing for, let's see, the cheapest one right now is 12 plus a dollar shipping. So I feel like we'll have a chance to pick these up at 10 but I've, you know, I, I'm just real hesitant on standard cards. I'm, I'd want to see more of an upward movement or a smaller supply. I've got 86 people, 82 people who have this available. But I, I agree with you about the long-term potential of the card. I'm just not sure I want to be getting in right now uh, at the, the about-to-rotate point. I want to give it a little bit longer. Hence why I'm hedging my bets buying overseas, but... Right. I, this has been ri- the overseas price is ridiculous and you should you should feel really good about that that said you might get a shot at these early summer for nine or ten dollars but i they've been drifting upward not downward since mid-december or so and you know it's a mythic coming out of that set and people don't have a ton of reason to be opening that set so you know i, I think you can dabble nibble here and then just keep an eye on its movement pattern and react accordingly to get additional copies it just looks very much to me like something that's going to be in a whole bunch of black decks. Like I won't be surprised at all to see that 15k turn into 30 to 45k in another 18 months on EDH. Absolutely. This is, a, this is a card that people should be playing a lot more of because there's a lot of black decks that want to make you lose life. And if you're making them lose life, then do it twice. All right. What's your final pick? My other pick this week is one of the earliest secret layer drops. The Monster Movie Marathon you can get on TCG Player right now. Uh, there's two of them for about $42, and then you're up in the 50 range, so I average it to, say, 45 on the spreadsheet. Uh, right now, if you add up the singles of the foil version, you're looking at a retail price of $65, so we're under that, plus uh, whatever uh, fun card you get, you're probably going to get a land. I think this was a big giveaway at the time. You're not going to get, like, a sliver or anything. But these are, you know, four... Well, three staples and one occasional sideboard card, but you get the Blasphemous Act, you get the Dismember, the Beast Within, and the Grafdigger's Cage. And uh, even more relevantly, there's hardly any to be had. There's only 13 people who've got theirs listed, and after the next 10 editions sell, you're looking at $70. So I'm picking the sealed one to go uh, from 45 to 80 sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. And this is from 2021, so this is early, early Secret Lair era. And I don't think there's many left around. I might have one sealed one around here someplace, but I definitely don't have a, a, a bunch of these laying around and I'm just trying to pump it up. 
I think this is probably the best pick this week, just from the the arbitrage of being able to crack the last cheap u- sealed units and turn them into pretty easy to sell singles. The Beast Within and Blasphemous Act, especially, I'm ba- I think I'm om- very close to sold out of from the cu- from the ones I cracked, and feels like I could sell those two cards all day long. I mean, the Beast Within is an eighteen dollar beast, beast Within, and the Blasphemous Act is twenty three on its own, so you're almost at the forty right there. Uh, to whichever pro trader listens to this first or sees the uh, the spreadsheet first, you're going to get you know this forty two one or two of these forty dollar copies, and you're going to feel real good about it. So congratulations to whoever you are. Well, and this is the thing. Like, go back to my, our conversation earlier about the soul rings. Like, you can't evaluate secret layers the way that random posts on Reddit do, where they look at the cheapest version of a card. When it's a super staple, like a Blasphemous Act or a Beast Within or a Soul Ring, you have to be asking yourself, how cool is this version? Is it in the top three, top five versions ever made? If so, you're probably supposed to treat look at the premium copies of the card and figure out what similarly rare versions are going for. Because these were real cheap when they first came out. I'm pretty sure we could get the, the Blasphemous Acts under 10, and the Beast Withins were, I think, closer to 5 or 6 or so at one point. And, you know, now they've both seen significant gains. So all in all, this seems real solid to me. Moving on over to our Murders at Karlov Mansion set review. Keep it pretty brief this time. I think we've covered a lot of this ground, and there's not a lot of new information since we last talked about this last week. I just wanted to go over again some of the most important cards in this set, most of which are from an EDH perspective and make sure everybody's on the same page. So first three cards I want to talk about are the green, what looked to me like a, a trio of green super staples. We have Slime Against Humanity, we have Undergrowth Recon, and we have Archdruid's Charm. We talked about these plenty over the last couple of weeks. Charm is just a super flexible rare that looks like it fits in any deck that can support triple green. Undergrowth Recon is one double green and gives you upside to index that have a lot of fetch lands and or any of the Jundi or Golgari style builds, um, you know, or Thalia and the Gitrog monster builds where you're going to have a lot of lands popping in and out of the graveyard. This thing helps you get to your core theme. Then you have Slime Against Humanity, which though only a common is a card you can put any number of into a deck, so it can't be ignored Uh, at least for foils, for instance, and might well generate some action on some other slime, uh, sorry, ooze-related cards in the game. Have you looked at what Slime Against Humanity is going for on TCG Player? Uh, It's currently like a $4 card retail and like $3 on TCG Player. It is $5.41 for the cheapest versions. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) That's a... that's. That's a sell into hype situation for sure, and 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 consider buying them cheap later. I mean, it it's hard to argue with you know five five and a half dollar commons, like that is even for pre ordering. That's that's pretty nuts. That's people saying like I'm going to build this ooze deck right now, and uh, come what may, I'll I'll pay whatever. You know that's that's a hundred and fifty dollars if you're buying thirty copies. And, and if you're dr- wild. And if you're drafting this month, make sure you're checking those draft chaff files. Man. Because these will get left left sitting around by the comp comp players for sure. 
War Leader's Call, I mentioned early on as a really good, you know, Ginny Fay and Jetmere add-on when that before that deck had even sold out. It's one red white for an enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one plus one, and whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals one damage to each opponent. I mean, that's everything you want in a red white go wide strategy. Whether you're playing goblins or humans or cats and dogs, this is just gonna be a good card for a long time in those strategies. We've also got Delmi, Streetwise Lookout, one of the best looking EDH mythics in this set. This could be the white blood letter of Aklazots in this set, I think. It's about, I think it's probably the same kind of situation where the blood letter is limited by the triple black, Delny is limited by interacting with creatures' power two or less. So it's a, again, it's a two, two for two and a white. It's a human, which matters. Creatures you control with power two or less can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater. So your small things can get in past big things. That's pretty key. And then, and that's key in a lot of decks. Like, I can't get it into my ninja builds because they're blue-black, but I can certainly get it into Edgar Markov. Even though this isn't a vampire, this might be pretty sexy in that situation. And then there's a whole bunch of, of decks that care about on damage triggers or on attack triggers and this helps you get more of those and then if an ability of a creature you control with power two or less triggers the ability triggers an additional time so if you're getting on damage on attack triggers this thing is doubling them up so it's helping them get in for free and potentially helping them do double of whatever you were trying to get them to do and in in decks like ishin for instance the these things you know are very synergistic and I think people are going to find more and more ways to make use of Delany over time. Doesn't seem like it's a standard or pioneer card at first glance. So probably, you know, gets a lot cheaper than it is now. They're currently going for mid-20s to high-20s. That's way too high up front. Way and too high. Just as I saw with the last few, several standard sets, uh, most of this stuff you want to be selling, you know, opening week. If you're cracking CVs, a lot of this stuff that you're not going to use for your own decks you want to sell, and then you buy it back later when it gets cheaper. I agree that there's a lot of things that we're going to be like, oh, yeah, and that works with Delny. Oh, yeah, that works with Delny. So we're going to see some fun things that, that combo up with this card, and I will be suitably impressed every time somebody doubles up on all sorts of ridiculousness. So uh, this this is absolutely something to keep an eye on, and I hope it gets cheap enough for me to get a few copies at prices I consider reasonable. The other common that's going to see a ton of play, um, especially if you look at the early EDH rec stats, is Demand Answers. This is the instant, I think it's the upgrade to Thrill of Possibility, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or discard a card, and then you draw two cards. So if you're playing in an artifact heavy build that generates a lot of treasure or maps or food or um, just creates artifact creature tokens or something, then this can let you draw two cards without having to discard a card, which is very handy indeed and there's a whole bunch of different reasons why you might prefer this over a whole bunch of other options that have been are just like incrementally worse and as a result should see a broad amount of play of course we've also got the rare cycle of surveil lands which i have to assume we're going to see some standard play along the way and are strictly better to fetch end of turn versus say a original revised dual land or a shock land or even potentially a tri land depending on what mana you've already got in play and whether you have any benefit to checking the top card and potentially putting it in the graveyard 
probably going to get the most value in decks that the ver- the ri- the lands that include black are probably going to get the most value because the black decks tend to have the greatest graveyard synergies. But you're also going to see, you know, smatterings of that in other colors, white and, and, and green, for instance, have various reasons to be interacting with the yard. So I would imagine Surveil Lands will see a solid amount of play. They're about as good as, as any dual land that we've gotten in a standard set in the last couple of years. We've also got Crime Novelist as, I think it's an uncommon, right? I believe it is an uncommon, yes. Yeah, and this one's got basically instant combo potential in two and three card combos in the format. So people, you know, I had somebody just ask me for a f- advance, tried to advance order a foil copy of this on the premise that I might be opening CBs. And I would imagine there will be plenty of people looking to add this to their decks. On the MKC side of things, which is the commander cards, where I would imagine extended art versions are in the collector boosters and regular versions are in the decks. The card to keep your eye on is Trouble in Pairs. This is the white enchantment for four. If an opponent would begin an extra turn, that player skips that turn instead. That's kind of just gravy. The main thrust of this card is whenever an opponent attacks you with two or more creatures, or draws their second card each turn, or casts their second spell each turn, you draw a card. People seem kind of on the fence about this one because it costs four mana, but they need to remember that this isn't just looking at your turn or their turn. It's looking at any turn. Right. Specifically on the draw to the second card, cast the second spell clauses. And so they can't play around it that easily just by, say, doing things on other people's turns. And I have a feeling this this is a, a very solid staple in color and, and is probably better than things like Smuggler's Share or Wedding Ring um, and some of the other three and four cast and cost white cards they've tried to give us as Ristic Study alternatives in this color. Um, I want. I still want my Esper Sentinel on one, of course. You know, this, this this isn't better than Ristic or Mystic Remora, but at the next tier and things like Black Market Connections, the criminally underplayed Protection Racket, or other things of that nature, this seems very akin to and likely to generate three, four, five cards a game for four mana. I mean, we saw Wedding Ring hit $20 while it was in, uh, before it got reprinted, like, multiple times in a row. Uh, I think this is a, a worthy comparison. It's definitely better than Wedding Ring. You don't pick one opponent. It's just all your opponents all the time. And the only way they can play around it is to not do these things. They can't pay the mana like you could with Ristic Study or, theoretically, with Mystic Remora. So this is going to get you some cards... Or it's going to make everybody attack you to death, which, you know, you you play cards like this, you understand that you are telling the table, I really like it when you attack me with stuff. The card literally says, go ahead and attack me with two or more creatures. I dare you. Now, that being being said, this is not a $25 card. So at at current pre-order pricing, I think Card Kingdom's got them at 15. So anywhere in that 15 to mid-20s range, I'm a seller for sure. Buy them back later. I agree with that completely. Like we we saw Wedding Ring go crazy, but Wedding Ring was much more um uh what's the word where everybody gets where you and the other opponent they, you both get the same fun effects and this is just you get to get lots of cards from everybody and I think this is something that you should think about playing in almost every white deck. You should just say, "Hmm, do I have space for this card?" One of the things that that injures it 
as well as Wedding Ring, is that at four casting costs, everybody that can afford it is playing the One Ring ahead of both of these cards. Man, don't make me pick between peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to make a sandwich of both. I, I t- tend to run three to five incremental value engines like that that are meant to generate resources. But I'm going to start with the One Ring and Smothering Tithe and then the decks that can play it, Esper and Rhystic Study, and then see what else I've got room for. So when I'm playing Esper builds, this is going to have to... A tough time making the list but if i'm in white x it's going to be easier especially if the if the x is not blue mm-hmm. uh, you wanted to talk about doppelgang i do want to talk about doppelgang i am in love with this card uh if you are not familiar with what it does uh let me bring it back up i had it up on my list but it's uh triple x in its casting cost which is always super fun and then you it's triple x blue green you get to make X copies of X permanents. So for one mana, if X equals one, you are copying everything that is... Um, well, for five mana, you, you pick one thing and you get one copy. Yes. So at eight mana, you get two copies of two different things. Yeah. So whatever cool thing they want to do, you're like, oh, no, no, no. We're, I'm going to get two of each of those, two of those, and then two of those. And so if you've got stuff that really wants to pay off uh, X casting cost, uh, it can really get out of hand. I've got a Zaxara deck that is, uh, quite frankly, chomping at the bit to put this in the deck because I think it's going to be really, really amazing. And I can't wait to play it. It's also going to be fun in decks that are already doubling their tokens because it's a token copy that you're getting. So if you've got a doubling season out and then you cast this on eight, you're (laughs) you're getting a ridiculous amount of things. (laughs) <laughs> that, uh, that might that might just kill the board instantly depending on what things you're targeting it might you know that's that's what i play commander for i want to do ridiculous things and then you know make sure i do them twice i wanted to talk about where is merchant Why of is truth it? yeah there it is so two white white flying whenever a non-token creature you control dies investigate that's already pretty decent for a two five but clues having exalted there's, uh, I made a pick a couple of shows ago about uh, what to do when you've got a bunch of clues and you can turn every, all your clues into attackers. Uh, Merchant of Truth is a way to get there that's really ridiculous. So each of your clues will give one thing a huge bump, and uh, I think that's going to see a lot of play. I think clues are going to be a really popular thing for people to build around, and so um, I'm curious to see where that one ends. It probably won't be expensive. But it's going to be, uh, if the clue deck really takes off, that'll be one of the things that people really want. I'm certainly liking the looks of Prisoner's Dilemma. This is exactly what I want to be doing in Commander Games. This is three double red. Each opponent secretly chooses Silence or Snitch. Then the choices are revealed. If each opponent chooses Silence, Prisoner's Dilemma deals four damage to each of them. If each opponent chooses Snitch, it deals eight damage to each of them. Otherwise, Prisoner's Dilemma deals 12 damage to each opponent who chose Silence. So they're all going to try to like play the shell game in their minds of I know that you know that I know, and, they're <laughs> pro- and most of them are going to get it wrong, and then you're going to deal a bunch of damage. And then you're going to get to do it again later with Flashback. And so I think you just have to kind of look at this as a card that says... For 12 mana, over the course of a couple of turns, you're going to do an average of 16 damage per person or something. I love it. I don't I don't even care what damage I actually deal. But just thinking about the average commander table, uh, is it better or worse if these are strangers? 
If these are people you know, I think you're going to end up taking more damage because everybody tries to outthink everybody else. I just think a table full of strangers is more likely to go, all right, we have to all choose silence. And then uh, one of them is going to choose snitch and it's going to be so great. I can't wait. And then the flashback is so money on this. Uh, I want to play this in every deck. It does definitely depend on what your table rules are like too. Because this is actually worse in the style of commander that we play with the pro traders where we pre-negotiate most of this stuff. And we also hold people to those negotiations. That definitely (laughs) makes the card worse because then they can, if they all say silence, they can't actually betray each other without consequences. So if you're in, in wild West games where, you know, breaking claiming you're not going to attack somebody and risk and then doing it anyway. And your brother and you fist fighting in the corner. If you're playing that kind of EDH (laughs) prisoner's dilemma is, is going to be a lot better than otherwise. As a result, I don't think this, this card's going to be worth any money. It's just oh, going to no. be it's just going to be worth way more than you paid for it when you actually pull it off. This is also one of the cards that you uh, remember and you tell stories about uh, because of the way that people were ready to start strangling each other. If you're of a certain age, you might have uh, like my grandparents were really big into playing bridge and they would argue for weeks about what they were bidding. I don't know if you know bridge at all, but you have to like figure out what you're going to do ahead of time and talk about it in code in front of everyone else. And so they're like, why would you do that? You didn't have that. I had that. I'm telling you I had, I would have had that. And they would argue about it for so long. And Prisoner's Dilemma is going to end some friendships. And I, I just, I'm here for it. And it's everything I want in Commander. Thank goodness it says opponent because I'm just going to be over here laughing the whole time the table's negotiating. I can't wait to play this in every deck. The thing is, there's I mean, one there's one tweak they could have made here that would have made it a, a, just a better card for Commander. And that would have been turning this into a voting card instead of cho- choices. Because then you could have leveraged the cards that let you have extra votes or influence votes. Or get benefits from votes. And, and then that it just would have been that incremental bit more interesting. And you could have affected the outcome in combination with other cards i see what you're saying i i like it better this way because now i don't have to do any deciding i can just be over here laughing but i I get where you're coming from there that's that's true being able to influence the voting on this would be uh just a barrel of laughs well but getting but the thing is that getting getting the caster involved in the voting and having their vote be secret and them just declining to negotiate at all would Set, sets up the joke right because when when right. the opponents get to negotiate and if they're held to the negotiations then they're going to choose the minimum damage every time and and though in in a pod like that you probably won't end up playing the card so th- there was definitely a way to do it so that you, if you give the caster the ability to foil the plan their plan then you could structure the cards so that they're trying to guess what you're going to do and then you can play the shell game with them so I would like to see this iterated on in the future because I, I love the direction they're headed with. It's not doesn't quite hit the note I thought it did when I first saw it. Uh, you wanted to talk about Tessak, Judith's Hellhound. I do. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of cat and dog frenzy going on. And they gave us this at exactly the right time. Uh, three and a red for a 3-3 three, three legendary elemental dog. It's got Unleash, so it comes into play with a 1-1 one, one counter if you want. And if it's got a counter, that means it can't block says other dogs you control have Unleash. So 
Uh, you can choose to have your dogs be off-leash all the time, which is a joke that, honestly, you should be making a lot more of. Uh, creatures you control with counters on them have haste, and then, whenever it attacks, you add red mana for each attacking creature. Sadly, this does not have the clause for this mana doesn't empty, so you have to use this mana before the end of combat. But you have all of combat to activate abilities and do cool stuff with this mana, that presumably it's a bunch of mana, especially in Ginny Fey, who can turn all of your tokens into happy off-leash doggies that are hasty with counters. So I think there's going to be uh, some real appeal for the card. Uh, I like an unleash joke. I like anything with Judith. And, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of uh, happy, friendly dogs get expensive prices. This one, this is a scary dog. This is one out of your nightmares. But it's a really powerful card in dog decks, and I think we're going to see a lot of this around. It won't be crazy expensive, but it is going to be a card that people end up you know, opening and putting into a deck because it's really easy to exploit. Over in the set of Clue release and Silvery product specific cards, Mastermind, Plum, and Apothecary White are still the two I've got my, my eye on. I guess Lonus Genetics Expert as well. Mastermind Plum is a 2-2 for 2 and a black human wizard. When it attacks, exile up to one target card from a graveyard. If an artifact card was exiled this way, you create a treasure. And then whenever you cast a spell, if you used a treasure to cast it, you draw a card and lose a life. I don't think you want it, this thing to be attacking to get that to happen. You just want to be in a deck that is smothering tithe and a bunch of other ways to make treasures, and then you're just going to draw extra cards as a result of using them. That just seems good. I would try this in Korvold, for instance, and I think it would probably be pretty solid there. And then we talked last week about how Apothecary White is great in the food decks, like Sam and Frodo. It's a 3-4 Vigilance uh, for 3 and a white. Whenever you attack, you create a food token for each player being attacked, and then you can pay white, tap it, tap X untapped foods to make X 1-1 white human creature tokens. And we talked about how if you have a doubling season or a parallel lives or an anointed procession, then you're compounding your tokens through this process, which is just going to be great. It is going to be great. A lot of these clue cards are are pretty impressive things, and... I'm very, very likely to just go buy one so I can have one of each of these around. Uh, we've talked about goad and how great goading is. We've gotten the most ridiculous goad around in Take the Bait. Uh, two red-white for an instant. Cast only during opponent's turn and during combat. Prevent all damage that will be dealt to you and planeswalkers you control this turn. Untap all attacking creatures and goad them. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Just heck yes. I fog myself... Everything that was attacking, not just attacking you, but everything that was attacking gets a second attack, and that second attack cannot be you, which is just so, so good. I can't wait to see one person make, uh, you know, nullify your alpha strike at me. Now you have to alpha strike the rest of the table, and then you're open, and I get to kill you back. Just bravo. This is great design, and I'm going to play a lot of this card. In terms of the commanders people seem to be building so far, according to EDH Rex stats, we've got Voja, Jaws of the Conclave, way out in front at over a thousand decks so far. Two uh, red, green, white, so Jetmere and and Ginny Fay colors. Five, five, Vigilance, Trample, Ward, three, Wolf. Whenever it attacks, put X plus one plus one counters on each creature you control, where X is the number of elves you control. So you're building three color elves here. And then draw a card for each wolf you control. Seems fine. It's a good commander. I don't think it's got chops for the long term. But it's, it, it's good. 
looks like a pretty standard mid-range commander. The next high is so far is Judith Carnage Connoisseur. Three black red for a 3-4 human shaman. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, that spell gains death touch or light and lifelink. Uh, or create a 2-2 red imp creature token with whenever this creature dies, it deals two damage to each opponent. So this is a spells matters deck where you just want to be churning through your spells. When they are when they deal damage, you're giving the spells death touch and lifelink so that your life total stays high. And when they don't, you're creating imps and making more and more of those and then daring them to wipe the board and take 10. I mean, I, I wrote a whole article about Judith and some of the stuff that'll take off if she gets popular. Uh, Blasphemous Act with this in play is just perfect. No notes, yeah. no yeah, problems. That's, that, just, that's uh, nasty. Mm-hmm. Nothing like gaining a couple hundred life. Uh, Chain Reaction is also going to be pretty ridiculous. Uh, there's a whole list uh, from an article, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, I'll have the math up this week. So, yeah, I think it was two a uh, week and a half ago. We've also got Cranko that we talked about along the way. That's the 3-3 Goblin. Sack an artifact to put counters on your goblins. Whenever an artifact's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you can pay one red and then you get a goblin. That's There's a bunch of combos that can be fooled around with there. I like Tomic Wielder of Law, 2-4 Flying Vigilance. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you and or Planeswalkers you control, that opponent loses three life and you draw a card. Great Rattlesnake card where there's a lot of attacks in the mid-game in EDH where people are just attacking to accomplish something. They don't actually care about damaging you in particular. And this just makes sure they don't do that. And if they do do that, then you get a card and they lose three. So that's fine. Uh, Tomic has an inside joke. Uh, it's got one colorless in its cost, or one generic, I should say. It's cost, but it's got a affinity for planeswalkers. You know why? No. Because he's got an affinity for just one planeswalker, and it's Ral's Eric. Oh, really? Yeah, they're in a, they're they're a thing. They're a couple. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was really dumb to have yeah to have like affinity for planeswalkers when you've got one generic mana. Like, oh, I'm reducing it from three to two, but that's the bit. So gotcha, I found gotcha. that out. And I, okay, yeah, okay. That makes sense. All righty. So, I mean, overall, I this is a pretty straightforward-looking standard set, the usual number of new cards for Commander. I don't see a lot here for Pioneer and Modern, but maybe I'll be surprised by combos I haven't thought through yet. Otherwise, I'm, I'm on to trying to figure out what's going to be in the Fallout sets. Oh, buddy. Uh, I I have Mr. House, and I can't wait to see what kind of accessories they, they gave Mr. House, and so I'm excited for that. Uh, do you see yourself buying the uh, the Clue game for the cards? Am I gonna be no, no, no. I'm just, no, I'm just going to buy the singles Let's when they get singles, inevitably right. cheap. And I bet you those Clue, I think those Clue editions are going to end up cheap. So mm. they'll be on discount somewhere some, at some point this year. And, and I hate the game Clue. Like, like as a... <laughs> As a guy who owns like a $2,000 board game like Kingdom Death that where they struggled for five years to perfect it, something like Clue that we used to play when we were eight where it's insanely basic, just is not going to fly. I mean, I'll play I'll play Candyland with Alara for for giggles, but even she's past that already. Yeah. Yeah, mine have taken up Blockus, and we, we get mean at Blockus. Gotcha. So, yeah, I get you. I get All right, you. Where, where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. This week I posted a best ideas segment in there uh, talking about all the cards out of Ikoria that you can be pulling out of your 
bulk or collection to make some coin now that the dinosaur decks are taken off. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Pass Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for this week, James, but more is coming for next week. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.